0: Good morning, it is good to be here with you today. We are answering the question uh, in this series, what does trusting Jesus in 2020 look like? And and man, I, I am not an old guy. But I would argue that this has been the most challenging and the most confusing year to be able to answer that question. I think that's why we are being asked to answer that question, is because it's not altogether clear what it looks like to trust Jesus in 2020. And so uh, I've been thinking about this for several weeks now and and have uh, been, been considering the fact that there are so many different stories, different competing ideas, so many different competing messages that are basically all trying to tell us the same two things. One, who you are And two, what should matter, right? These are the two things that every competing ideology, story, advertisement, political platform, and every media company, everybody's trying to tell you who you are and what should matter. And so, gosh, as I started to consider this, I thought, man, that is the answer to what it looks like to trust Jesus in 2020 is To trust Jesus to answer those two questions for us that it it would be important for us to be able to say okay who am I I am going to believe that who I am is who Jesus says I am and then secondly that what matters is what Jesus tells me matters. And so the, the ability to kind of wade through all of these competing stories and, and arrive at this idea of who I am and what matters to me and believing Jesus's answers to those questions is massively important. The reality is, We will never get our life on track or maybe keep our life on track if we don't know who we are. And in fact, we will never fully be able to trust Jesus if we don't first know who we are. So, who are you? Who are you? The Bible gives us an answer to that question. In fact, on its very first page, The Bible tells us in in the most full and foundational sense, exactly who we are. In Genesis chapter one, verse 26, it says this, then God said, this is after God has made all of creation, says, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then hear this verse 27 So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. Now, theologians differ as to what exactly this means specifically for us to be made in the image of God, but let's put it this way, there is a family resemblance. I have five kids, I have three girls and two boys, and I have uh, basically two sets of children. I have the children that look like my wife, and I have the children that look like me, and I am so sad for those that look like me and so happy for those that look like my wife, but every time somebody sees my kids, they go, oh my gosh, They look so much like you or they look so much like your wife. It's unbelievable. There is a family resemblance that ties us together. Now, this idea that we're made in the image of God uh, always reminds me of this moment I had. Um, One time I was at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. Right. And I'm, I'm walking through the museum and there's all kinds of famous paintings by famous painters. And I, I noticed there's a crowd, a large crowd around one particular painting. And it is kind of blocked off with some velvet ropes. And it seems like there is something really important about this painting. And I am at best an amateur painting uh, uh, appreciator. I can't even say the right words. That tells you how little of this I know. So I walk up and just see the crowd and I see the ropes and I see the painting and I'm trying to assess the situation going, what is it about this painting that makes it so popular, so important? I mean, first of all, it is in the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, which that alone is a high honor. So, you know, there's got to be something great about it. But even more than that, it's been given a place of honor in this house of honor. And even more than that, we've got tourists crowding all around. It's being protected by security. There is something valuable and important about this painting. And so I kind of stand in the back of the crowd and I'm looking at it and I go, you know, it's not a hyper realistic picture. So it's not as if that this painting is so important because the artist was able to so perfectly capture the nuance of the image it was a bit abstract right and so i'm looking at it and going okay well maybe it's the colors right there were some blues and some whites and some variation of the blues and it was it was very pretty but i thought you know what those colors are are not unique to this painting there are other paintings who have used these colors so it's not the colors themselves and i thought well you know maybe maybe it's the material right? I mean, we know that when we buy something, the, the quality of the materials makes it more expensive and more valuable. So maybe it's the materials themselves. No, this is a you know a couple hundred year old painting. Certainly our materials have gotten better since then, so it can't be the materials. And so I'm, I'm thinking and thinking and pondering and pondering, what is it about this thing that makes it so valuable? And I thought, well, maybe it's just the beauty right? Like it's just beautiful and it is just inherently beautiful. But then I thought, no, because in the gift shop for the SF MoMA, I can buy a print of this painting for $5.99 and that's not super valuable. So it can't be that there's some inherent beauty because the same beauty is in the print that is in the picture. And then, then I realized that the value of this painting, the reason why people are people gathered around the painting, why it had this place of honor is be, not because of the painting itself, not because of its inherent beauty, not because of the colors that it used or the materials, none of it, none of it. What gave this painting its value was a small white placard next to the painting that said, Vincent, Van Gogh, that it was the creator that endows this painting with its value. Now, there, you, you can argue, and many artists probably would argue, that the inherent intrinsic beauty of the thing actually gives Van Gogh some of its credibility. And I, I, okay, I get it, but you're ruining my illustration. The point is this, the painting itself was helpless to affect its value even one degree. 100% of the value of that painting, the honor given to it was because of the artist. That artist gave the creator, gave the painting its value. And in the same way, you are also helpless to affect your value, which might sound bad because you may feel really capable of affecting your value but man when you embrace this idea i promise you it is freedom on the back end of this and here's why because it is this means that it is not your past success or your past failure it is not your present behavior or productivity or your future potential or position that has anything to do with with your value, that you are an image bearer of God. That is the truest thing about you. And that never changes because it wasn't, it isn't true because of you. It is true because of your creator who made you. It is because of him that you have the value that you have. And that value is in calculus. But man, in a moment like this where there are so many winds swirling and so many ideas around about who we are and what matters, to be able to cling to an unchangeable truth about who you are and why you're valuable is so important. That this idea of being an image bearer or, or us it, our, our church is called icon church because this word for image in the greek is a cone or what we would say is icon this picture of this this fullest expression of who god is that's who you are you are an icon that's the truest thing about you that icon is your identity But it doesn't stop there. The Bible doesn't stop there. It doesn't just tell us that icon is our identity. It also tells us that icon is our problem. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of the both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths." Now just picture this moment. You have Adam and Eve in the garden. There's no sin. It's just perfection. It's them. They're eating fruit. They're probably singing to one another, reciting poetry. God's like their best friend. They're just hanging out with him in the garden. And the serpent comes and says, don't you feel stuck? Don't you feel trapped? Can't you see how God is holding you down? I mean, sure, there's no sin. I mean, sure, it's pretty good life you've got here, just existing as king and queen in this garden. But you know what you're not? You're not God. That's the one thing you're not. God is holding you down by holding back that thing about you. And this is, of course, the moment Genesis 3 we call the fall, where everything changed. Now, here's what I want us to hear. That icon is the truest thing about you, and you have never lived a day fully imaging God. Not one day of your whole life have you fully imaged God the way he made you to do. That icon is your truest identity, but that icon is also your problem. It's the thing that causes all the pain and all the suffering and all the strife in your life. The fact that you have never lived a day as an image bearer of God, fully living into that identity practically, and no one else around you has either. Um, I I once had the opportunity uh, to experience an AA meeting and it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life to see the kind of honesty and vulnerability that these women and men walked into this room and just told the truth about what they had done and who they were. And I remember sitting there with one of my mentors and and him telling me that, that the key to this is not to hide, but to tell, in his words, the worst version of your story the worst version of your story which is absolutely not what we ever want to do we always hide a little we always tell why it's not that bad we tell a better version of it with all the reasons why some of these bad things happen he goes honestly that's death because you're just hiding and it's exhausting to have to hide that much See, what we know about this idea of being an icon is that our identity starts inside of us. Our our identity is given to us. And so it's an identity that, that exists at the most kind of intimate and center of our being and then moves out into our lives. Not the other way around. It's not the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we accomplish and who we are out there that then move inwards to define our identity. That's not the way things work. So if my identity is my innermost being and it is the thing that is truest about me that was given to me by my creator, then all the things that are out there, my mistakes, my behavior, my failures, my lack of productivity, my lack of of upward mobility, none of that speaks to who I actually am. And so I can be then honest about my failures, honest about my disappointments, because it can't crush me if First and foremost, Icon is my identity. So not only is Icon my identity, but Icon is my problem. The fact that I've never once lived a full day expressing the image bearer of God within me. Now it goes even beyond that, that Icon is not just my identity, it's not just my problem, but it is in fact my only hope. Colossians chapter 1 Verse 15, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and hear this, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Hear this, church, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Icon is your identity. It's the truest thing about you. Icon is your problem. The fact that you've never lived a day of your life fully imaging God and neither has anyone around you. And an icon, the only true icon, the full image bearer of the invisible God, the only image, the icon of the invisible God, he is your only hope. Jesus, the true icon who has accomplished everything we did not he is our hope no matter what other hopes we get sold and 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 we are sold hope all day long every bit of advertising no matter what it is for is telling us a gospel story right if we know the gospel story as creation fall, redemption, restoration, that story is the story of every piece of marketing and advertising you have ever heard in your life, right? Track with me. Creation tells us this is who you were made to be. Fall tells us this is what's wrong with you. This is why you aren't who you were made to be. Redemption, the hope of the cross and the gospel story tells us this is your hope. This is the thing that can overcome your problem that can make you into the thing you were made to be. And so creation, fall, redemption, restoration is the restored version of yourself that this redemption can cause you to experience. And so for the gospel, that is creation, fall, redemption on the cross and restoration, Jesus's redemptive and reconciling work in us. But every bit of marketing and advertising you've ever heard tells you the same thing, but they swap out the different problems right? So you were made for something good and yet something broken has happened in your life. You need our product or you need to follow our person and then you will be what you were always made to be. My favorite version of this is the late night blender version of this. We've all seen these commercials, there is a kind of an implied uh, creation story in it, but it really usually jumps right into the fall and you've got this kind of haggard and frazzled looking mom. It's always in black and white for some reason, right? And she's trying to make smoothies for the kids and her kids are unruly and the neighbor kids are coming in and they're stealing stuff in the background. And, and she's trying to just make smoothies and she turns on the blender, it explodes, it all gets all over her and she looks in directly into the camera like, I am a hopeless human. Human being, and there's nothing good, and then the magic bullet arrives. And the magic bullet is the solve to all her problems. And all of a sudden she is making smoothies for the most obedient and intelligent children. She's gotten a makeover. She looks great. Her hair's great. It's all of a sudden in color. And now she can be who she was always made to me, that awesome mom who all the neighbor kids love, and they just want to be at her house. This is a gospel story. So whether it is a product or it is a person in this election season, the message is the same. You were made for something, you've got a problem, let me be your solution so that you can be who you were always meant to be. All of these are false gospels, promising a hope that they can never, ever, ever deliver on. And Paul warns us, saying that we should not shift from the hope of the gospel. And this is, this is something we do kind of subtly, right? That we go, yeah, 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 Jesus, 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 totally get that, Jesus is the thing. But also I could use this solution, this product, this person. This thing in my life, in addition to Jesus. Jesus is great, and and I love Jesus, follow Jesus, but Jesus doesn't give me everything I need, so I need something else. And we have to remember that the next thing won't be the thing that changes everything. Because this thing that failed you used to be the thing that you thought was going to be the thing that would change everything. And so whatever the next thing is, is only soon to be the thing that didn't solve your problem. Jesus, our icon, is our only hope. Last. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 gives us this remarkable passage, this list of sins and all the evils and ills of our world. Paul says this in chapter 6, verse 9 of 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So just at the very moment that we might go, yeah, those people, they will never be part of the kingdom of God. Paul drops this bomb on us by going, and such were you. That's you. That if I am an image bearer of God and that that's the truest thing about me, guess what? It's also the truest thing about them. Whoever them is for you and we all have a them. Somebody in our life or some category of person that we just go, yeah, they cannot be with us because of the things that they do. And Paul goes, no, there is no they There's no us and them. There is only we made in the image of God desperately in need of a savior. That's all. That's the only category that we have. I remember in the early days of our church plant, we were doing a prayer night and we were walking around Cal Anderson parks, the center of Chaz or CHOP. And this was before then, but we were doing a prayer walk around the park. And I remember as I was walking, I saw a man dressed like a unicorn. Now this was, you know, Wednesday night in Capitol Hill, no big deal. Um, But I, I saw this guy and I thought, well, that's interesting. I wonder how many people will see the unicorn guy. And I get back to the church after the prayer walk and I say, hey how many of you saw the unicorn and a few people raised their hands a lot of people were very confused my daughters were really upset they missed the unicorn and I said listen until we see that guy first and foremost that our first flinch is to see that guy as an image bearer of God and not a dude dressed like a unicorn but we see him as an image bearer in need of the gospel like us We will never have the desired impact we want to have on our city because our posture will not be towards him as a fellow image bearer, but it will be either against him or we will see him as a project, a thing to be solved. And that is not the posture of the gospel. So icon is our identity. It is also our problem. It is also our only hope. And icon is our mission. The world is completely insane right now. And 2020 has been the biggest train wreck of a year in my lifetime. But none of what has happened this year changes a thing about who you are, about what your problem is, what your hope is, or what you have been called to. None of it. None of it changes any of those things that are so core to who we are. You are forever an icon an image bearer of god and there is nothing you can do to change that Cling to that truth you have never spent a day of your life fully imaging god admit that and live in the freedom of repentance your only hope is jesus the only true icon who died so that you might live no one and nothing else will do that for you. And everything I just said about you is just as true about your neighbor, coworker, your enemy, and political opponent. The ones you love the most need Jesus. The ones you love to hate are made in the image of God. Unless we embrace that truth down to our bones, we will never find the peace. That Jesus offers us, which is available to us even in 2020. Let's pray. Jesus, you have made us in such a way that we we have been endowed with value we could never create ourselves. You've made us to be yours, and yet we have never lived out of that full identity, and so we need you. Jesus, be for us what we could never be for ourselves and what no other thing or person could be for us. Jesus, I pray that you would do that in us so that we can see those around us and especially those who are farthest from us the same way you see us as your image bearers, desperately loved by you, but also desperately in need of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.